regulated militia be necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm glad you're with me on the program today. We are, of course, going to be talking about the uh, mass murder in Lewiston, Maine on Wednesday night. 18 people killed, 13 injured. That according to the uh, Maine State Police at a uh, press conference on Thursday morning. Uh, The events unfolding over two separate locations, a bowling alley and a uh, restaurant. According to Maine Police, the uh, suspect shot and killed seven individuals Six males, one female at the bowling alley. And then uh, about 15 minutes later, 911 calls came in from the restaurant in Lewiston, Maine. Eight people fatally shot there. Uh, Seven males inside the restaurant, one male outside the restaurant. Three other uh, people who were injured passed away from their injuries at local hospitals. Uh, Right now, a total again of 18 fatalities, 13 injuries, according to the Maine State Police. And most importantly, as of the time of uh, this recording, the suspect... Uh, and he is now considered a suspect, not a person of interest, uh, is still on the loose. He has not been apprehended. You know, I thought long and hard about what I wanted to talk about today. And we are going to get into a little bit of policy discussions. But before we do, I have to say, I literally, I, I just finished watching this press conference that uh, took place uh, Thursday morning before I uh, sat down to do today's Cam and Company. And, you know, I know there's going to be, again, a lot of debate over Maine's gun laws in the legislature, uh, in uh, coffee shops and uh, kitchen tables across the state of Maine. But that was entirely absent uh, from the press conference today. And I want to commend uh, Governor Janet Mills for uh, what I thought was a a exceptional uh, job of Again, talking about the pain and the grief that Mainers are going through and experiencing today, but the resilience uh, and the hope and the healing that will take place. Governor Mills talked a lot about uh, showing love to one another. And sometimes that can be hard to do in the immediate aftermath of an incident like this, right? You feel that heartache. You feel that pain. You feel that grief for those who are wondering if their loved ones are okay, those who know that their loved ones are not okay, but have been stolen from them. And you feel that pain and that grief, but you also feel the anger. You feel the rage at at how on earth could somebody do something so heinous, so barbaric as to walk into a bowling alley on a Wednesday night. When there were friends and family gathered just to have fun and open fire, then get in his car, drive to another location. You know, we have heard uh, reports about the suspect's mental health, that he was um, committed. We don't know if this was voluntarily or involuntarily committed to a mental health facility uh, in Maine just a few months ago after apparently reporting, self-reporting. Uh, that he had a desire to shoot up an army base. So, again, we have so many questions. How could this happen? Why did this happen? And most importantly, at this point, where is this guy? 
so we can stop this from happening again. I know that uh, gun control advocates poo-poo the idea of thoughts and prayers at a time like this. But I can tell you from my own experience of sudden loss of a loved one, I, I, I appreciated the thoughts and the prayers that I received uh, in April of last year. And you can dismiss these words if you want. But my heart, my thoughts, and my prayers do go out to the people of Maine and all those impacted. Again, we don't just have 18 people who are no longer with us, 13 people who are recovering from their injuries. We have hundreds, thousands of people who have been impacted by this. And it is, it's not just easy, it is almost considered an imperative, particularly on social media, to blithely dismiss or ignore those individuals or to exploit their pain and tragedy for a particular agenda. And I would just ask that, like Governor Mills said, keep some love in your heart today. Spare a prayer for those who are grieving, for those who are not even grieving yet, but those who are numb, those who are in shock, those who still haven't wrapped, have been not unable to wrap their head around this terrible reality. Because I do believe in the power of prayer. It, it helped me, and uh, I believe it can help them as well. Um, as I said, we are going to talk a little bit about policy here. We have uh, obviously already seen gun control activists uh, try to uh, use this as a reason to ban so-called assault weapons. Uh, Governor Gavin Newsom, as I pointed out at Bearing Arms earlier today, uh, in his first comments berated Republicans in Maine for not passing a 72-hour waiting period bill earlier this year, despite the fact that Democrats are in charge of both chambers and the governor's office. You know, again, this type of exploitation and playing politics with a tragedy like this is nothing new uh, when it comes to the gun control lobby. It's a part of their playbook, as I detailed at Bearing Arms earlier today, back in 2012, uh, there was a uh, basically a playbook. It was called Preventing Gun Violence Through Effective Messaging. And there's an entire section on how gun control advocates should respond to a high-profile shooting incident. And the playbook says, don't wait for the facts. Don't don't wait until we actually know what's going on. Seize the moment. Uh, be vague, right? Because if you get specific, then the facts might not match up with your rhetoric. So be vague, but be present. Be calling for more gun laws. Go after the gun lobby or the gun lobby community, as Peter Ambler of uh, Giffords uh, came up with that phrase on Wednesday evening. And so we know that we're going to see this exploitation continue. One of the things that I think is going to come up 
uh, in the coming days is a measure that was approved by the Senate on Wednesday, an amendment offered by uh, Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana to a appropriations bill funding military construction, as well as the uh, Department of Veterans Affairs, Agriculture, Transportation, and Housing and Urban Development. As the Hill reports, it would prevent veterans from losing the right to purchase or own firearms when they receive help to manage their Department of Veterans Affairs benefits. Under current law, the Veterans Affairs Department is required to send a beneficiary's name to the FBI's National Instant Criminal Background Check System whenever a fiduciary is appointed to manage his or her benefits. As Senator Kennedy said, veterans who sacrifice to defend our Constitution shouldn't see their own rights rest on the judgment of unelected bureaucrats, but right now they do. My amendment, he said, would prevent government workers from unduly stripping veterans of their right to keep and bear arms. Chris Murphy, senator from Connecticut, um, blasted uh, Senator Kennedy and supporters of the uh, bill. There were four Democrats, well, uh, three Democrats and I believe an independent uh, who uh, voted in favor of uh, Senator Kennedy's amendment. He said on the uh, floor of the Senate on Wednesday, we're not talking about people who just can't balance their checkbook. We're not talking about people who just need some assistance with their financial affairs. The standard that the VA uses, he says, is the standard of mental competence. And he went on to say, let me put a finer point on it. One third of the veterans we're talking about in this category are diagnosed schizophrenics. This amendment allows for every single one of them to have their gun rights restored. It is... um, I think obvious that this is going to be a talking point going forward, given the military background of the suspect. So I, I do want to take a moment to just clear up something. As uh, Senator Murphy said, by the way, I have no idea if that uh, stat that he uh, uh, throw out there is accurate, about a third of these individuals being a diagnosed schizophrenic. That would mean that two-thirds of those individuals uh, who have a fiduciary, <clears throat> excuse me, have not been diagnosed with schizophrenia. We also know, again, that mental illness is not in and of it by itself uh, a, a sign that somebody is going to uh, have murderous impulses or act on those murderous impulses. And despite Senator Murphy's proclamation to the contrary, there is still a mechanism by which those who truly are um, mentally incompetent can lose their right to keep and bear arms. I think even Senator Kennedy would acknowledge that, and he didn't try to get rid of that process. What he said is that process should be coming through an actual adjudication as opposed to a bureaucratic decision that, okay, well, you fit into this box. We're going to say that everybody that fits into this box loses their right to keep and bear arms. There is still that process by which somebody can be adjudicated as mentally defective. That does not change with the Kennedy Amendment. And, of course, that has bearing on this particular suspect as well. Because, again, if this suspect did indeed spend time in a mental institution uh, this summer, the question then becomes, was he prohibited from possessing a farm? Was he adjudicated? as mentally defective, as a result or in the course of his treatment. There's also the question about whether or not Maine's yellow flag law uh, was invoked 
against the suspect, whose name, by the way, we won't be using here. Um, Maine, it's yellow flag laws, a little bit different than the uh, red flag laws that are in place in 21 states in the District of Columbia. Under a red flag law, somebody says, uh, all right, you know what? I think Cam's said something that makes me concerned. I'm going to go to the police or maybe I can, depending on what state I live in, I can go directly to the courts myself, file this petition. Um, I think Cam's a danger to himself or others. And an ex parte hearing can take place. Uh, where a judge will consider that petition and the evidence that's brought forward with that petition, but won't talk to me or whoever the subject of that petition might be, and then make a determination as to uh, whether or not to grant that uh, emergency extreme risk protection order, as it's called in most states. Uh, if that order is granted, then another court hearing is scheduled, typically within 14 days, uh, where the subject of the petition does get to appear before a judge and offer any contradictory evidence, evidence that they are not a danger to themselves or others. But again, the burden is on them to show that they are not a danger to themselves or others. Um, if they fail to do so, then that uh, ex parte order is uh, continued. In most states, it's a year. Some states, it's six months. Um, but the prohibition remains in effect. It can be renewed. Uh, on a uh, ongoing basis, quite frankly, right? There, there is typically an open-ended process uh, where this can be renewed every year. Uh, you can challenge that if you're the subject of a petition. But again, the burden of proof is basically on, on you to prove that you are not a danger. In Maine, they actually involve mental health at the beginning of this process. Most red flag laws don't have a mental health component at all. Uh, Virginia, where I live, for example, not only is there no mental health component on the front end, there's no mental health component on the back end. So you are not given any sort of psychological screening. You're not uh, given any sort of evaluation by a mental health professional uh, to help determine whether or not you actually pose a danger to someone or, or yourself. Uh, if a judge says, yeah, you know what, I think you do pose a danger to someone, could be yourself, could be someone else, there is no treatment that is offered. Uh, you the, the the goal is, well, we take your guns away and then we leave you to your own devices. Uh, so if you are dangerous, you still have access to all kinds of things that you could use to harm yourself or others, be it you know knives in your kitchen, pills, rope, gasoline, car keys, whatever. Um, Maine, as I said, there is a mental health evaluation right there at the beginning, even before a judge hears this case. Uh, police are alerted. We think someone, we think Cam is a danger to himself or others. Uh, the first thing that the police do then is go to a mental health professional and say, all right, we need you to do an evaluation. Um, the individual is evaluated. If the mental health professional says, yeah, you know what, I, I do have concerns, um, then they take that information to the judge. There is still an ex parte hearing, or at least an emergency hearing, uh, which lasts, uh, again, for 14 days, the findings there. Uh, if the judge says, yeah, I think this person is a danger, then they, that individual gets their day in court two weeks later. But there is, again, at least that uh, involvement in the mental health community from the get-go. So now the question becomes, in this particular case, was Maine's yellow flag law invoked at any time? Uh, again, it, it, it could be. We don't know the circumstances of this commitment. 
So if this was an involuntary commitment, that would have uh, accounted as an adjudication. Uh, and the uh, suspect in this case would have been prohibited under state and federal law by, from purchasing or possessing a firearm. Yellow flag law needed. Um, if this was a voluntary commitment, there's a chance that, again, that would not have been an adjudication of a mental defectiveness. And again, the yellow flag law might have come into play, given the should have come into play, uh, given the reported threats to, again, engage in exactly this type of mass violence, albeit uh, against an army base, not a bowling alley, and a restaurant, and the innocents inside. So, again, we have so many unanswered questions right now, uh, just about the process. But, you know, the um, argument that, well, Maine doesn't have uh, enough gun laws, uh, Maine needs a, a gun ban, Maine needs X, Y, and Z uh, to uh, have prevented this type of tragedy. You know, California, which has waiting periods, a ban on so-called assault weapons. Background checks for the purchase of ammunition, much less firearms. A 10-day waiting period. Led the nation in active assailant attacks in 2021, according to the FBI. More of these incidents than any other state in the union. So, I'm not a big fan of getting into a policy debate before the victims have even been identified. But I realize that that is the world we live in. Unfortunately, um, so I would just point out that you can have every one of these gun control policies that Peter Ambler of Giffords or Shannon Watts uh, says would make a difference, and they haven't in states like California. Instead, time and time again, what we see is that there were red flags, not in every case. But in many cases, there were warning signs, and certainly in this case, there were clear warning signs. And there are laws that are already on the books that, if utilized, uh, would have at least precluded this individual from lawfully purchasing or possessing a firearm. Again, we don't know whether or not those laws were invoked. You know, whether uh, this person, maybe the laws were invoked and this person, you know, uh, got a hold of a gun illegally. Maybe he maintained possession of existing firearms rather than uh, turn them over if the yellow flag law was, in fact, uh, applied against him. Again, we don't know. These are all really important questions. Uh, we will get the answers at some point. Gun control lobby is not going to wait until we get those answers uh, to demand change. and. I know that this debate is coming. Uh, Governor Mills didn't say anything about gun control today. I saw the uh, first comments from Senator Angus King, uh, basically as soon as he landed in Portland. And uh, he talked about the, the fact that Maine has one of the highest rates of gun ownership, has one of the lowest violent crime rates in the country, that this is, uh, I don't think he used the word aberration. Um, but that was you know, clearly his thought here, right? That this this is an aberration, not only for the country, but for Maine in particular. Um, Angus King has gone along with a lot of gun control proposals. 
uh, there in uh, the Senate. Don't know if that's going to change his views on things like a, a ban on so-called assault weapons going forward. Don't know. Again, there's going to be time to have that debate, to have that discussion, to have the arguments over whether or not uh, stripping Americans of their right to protect themselves actually makes them safer. But today, again, despite what I've just talked about over the last couple of moments, I want to finish by just asking you to keep the people who are hurting, who are in pain, who are grieving, who are lost, who are wondering just how to go on. Keep them in your hearts. If you know them, if you know someone like that, please reach out. They need to hear from you. They may not even realize it, but they need to feel that love. They need to feel that care. They need to feel that concern. And um, and I hope, again, that uh, no matter where we sit on the uh, spectrum of the Second Amendment advocacy or antipathy, that this is something that at least we can agree on. That those, again, who are grieving should have our love and support. Now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. Case out of Illinois, where, uh, again, Democrats have enacted all kinds of gun control restrictions, right? You have to have a firearms owner ID card in order to possess a gun in your home. You have to have a concealed carry license in order to carry a gun in public, you cannot own a quote-unquote large-capacity magazine. Uh, I'm sorry, you can own one. You, you can no longer purchase one. Uh, you can still possess, at least for the moment, AR-15s and semi-automatic uh, firearms, but those semi-automatic long guns now have to be registered with the state and no new quote-unquote assault weapons can be sold. All of these laws, again, aimed at legal gun owners. So what happens when somebody is accused of illegally supplying guns to individuals who are not eligible to own one. Well, in Illinois, they get probation. That's right. If you are a law-abiding gun owner, oh, excuse me, well, let, let's, let, let, let me change that because you might not be law-abiding if you, uh, you know, again, try to uh, purchase or possess a, uh, a gun that they say you're not allowed to have. You could be looking at Serious time behind bars, right? Even possessing a FOID card or even possessing a gun in your home without a FOID card, even if you're legally eligible to own that firearm, you could be looking at certainly uh, probation and a lot of fines, but the possibility of jail time. Akeem Thomas, 25 years of age, not facing any jail time at all. He admitted to two counts of illegally selling guns in a plea deal that saw a charge of gun running and a further count of illegal weapon sales dismissed, according to the Herald Review newspaper. Uh, they report a sworn affidavit from the Decatur Police Department said Thomas came to the attention of law enforcement in October of last year after officers responded to a report of men with guns on a city street. Suspects had been chased on foot by members of the Street Crimes Unit, which targets uh, legally possessed firearms. A dropped handgun was recovered after being uh, sniffed out by a police dog. The uh, 9 millimeter was then traced back 
to Thomas. Detective Todd Kester, who signed the affidavit, said police soon discovered that Thomas, who did have a firearm owner ID card, was doing a, quote, brisk trade in buying guns and selling them to non-FOID holders. Thomas admitted to the detective that he had purchased approximately 20 firearms and only had a couple currently in his possession. He was arrested in November of last year, previously pleaded guilty to all of the charges, or excuse me, previously pleaded not guilty to all of the charges. But on October the 12th, he was uh, there in Macon County Circuit Court, and he said he was willing to accept the plea deal negotiated by the defense attorney, uh, Monroe McWard, and the state's attorney. In passing the sentence, the uh, presiding judge, Thomas Griffith, imposed a 180-day jail sentence, but stayed that sentence while Thomas serves his probation. So in other words, if he doesn't get caught doing anything wrong again, he doesn't have to go spend 180 days in jail. Judge Forder ordered him to pay $250 to have his DNA added to a, a criminal database maintained by the Illinois State Police. But that's it, basically. Slap on the wrist, and uh, we'll see you later. Keep your nose out of trouble, and uh, you know, you're good to go uh, in uh, just a couple of years. Oh, excuse me, 30 months of probation. That's it. So, yeah, two and a half years of probation. Uh, now, again... All of the gun control laws that the Illinois legislature and Governor J.B. Prisker have enacted over the past few years, all of these are aimed at lawful gun owners, right? Now, Akeem Thomas, he did have his FOID card, so in that sense, he was a lawful gun owner. But he was doing unlawful things. Uh, I, I Actually, you know, there's a case that this could have been referred to the uh, feds. Uh, and Thomas could have been charged with basically being an unlicensed dealer of firearms uh, for repeatedly buying and selling guns uh, for the right with the intent of uh, turning a profit. Uh, even under the old standard of engaged in the business that the ATF used, it would appear that Akeem Thomas was actually engaged in the business. But the state's attorney didn't refer this to federal court, where the distinct possibility of federal prison time. Uh, would have been available for prosecutors. Instead, the state's attorney kept this local and offered a plea deal that keeps Akeem Thomas out of jail, even though, again, he's accused of supplying almost a couple, at least 20 firearms to uh, individuals who are not legally eligible to own them. So do we need more gun laws in Illinois? Or do we need to quit giving people who are arming criminals sweetheart plea deals that uh, deliver a slap on the wrist and a kiss on the cheek and then uh, we'll see you later? I'd argue door number two is a better way to go. Today's Armed Citizen story from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where police say a, a store worker shot and killed a robber uh, in the midst of a robbery, as the uh, robber was stuffing his pockets full of cash. Uh, now, police do say this is an act of self-defense. The uh, robber had a gun. So this wasn't, you know, the robber heading out the door unarmed, hadn't displayed a weapon. And then the uh, clerk, you know, shot and killed the guy as he was leaving and wasn't posing a threat. Uh, according to uh, police authorities, Chief Inspector Scott Small in uh, Philadelphia, um, the man had entered the store, partially masked, holding a gun. He said he pointed at one of the employees and then went behind the counter and point of gun started taking money from the cash register. 
That's when the store employee was also behind the counter, pulled his weapon, and fired several shots. Small said you could see that at least one of the 28-year-old's pockets is stuffed with money. Uh, investigators believe that the cash and other money seen on the ground stolen from the cash register by the uh, would-be robber. Uh, Small says the preliminary investigation uh, shows it appears to be self-defense. Again, since the robber was armed uh, with a gun, the store worker remained on scene as cooperating with investigators. Uh, other eyewitnesses cooperating in the investigation as well. They've got uh, interior store surveillance camera uh, that will uh, uh, corroborate or, I guess, dispute the uh, witness testimonies. Uh, Small noted that the store had been robbed in the past as well. Uh, but again, based on the circumstances described by the inspector, this would appear to be a justifiable use of force. You are in fear of your life. You've got somebody with a gun pointed it at you. He's come behind the counter. He's still got his gun out while he's stuffing his pockets full of cash. He might have been distracted for a second, but it would have been the easiest thing in the world after the uh, contents of that cash register had been emptied out to pull the trigger and to take the life of that store clerk and perhaps any customers inside. So I would say that, yes, the clerk had a very reasonable fear uh, of great bodily harm or death unless he fought back, and thankfully he was able to do so. We'll keep our eyes on this story and bring you more details as they become available. Finally today, our good deed of the day, in the right place, at the right time, we've been able to do the right thing. A couple of good Samaritans, actually, in Florida, who helped subdue a, a suspected carjacker uh, while police were hot on his tail. Michael Prouty now facing uh, multiple charges. Here's a uh, image of the Good Samaritans uh, in question there coming after this guy. Uh, apparently, he had kind of engaged in a one-man crime spree, uh, according to uh, Click Orlando. Uh, Prouty was arrested on Tuesday in Ocala after he forced his way into a woman's home robbed her, and then stole her car. He then crashed that vehicle. Officers spotted him. He fled, uh, I guess, in the car, crashed into several other vehicles, and then ran away. Um, Proudy ended up in a Starbucks drive through line. Police are following him, but uh, dash cam video shows him getting out of the passenger seat of a vehicle, running up to another car that's there at the pickup window. Uh, again, police are right there, but he is trying to get away. Video shows him open up the passenger door. A couple of witnesses start moving towards the car. Um, one of them, again, a good Samaritan uh, running ahead of police, grabbed him to help officers arrest him. Proudy managed to get away, but then a second good Samaritan was actually able to uh, you know, wrap his arms around him, take him to the ground. Ocala Police Chief uh, Mike Balkin said in a news release, we're proud of these two citizens for their heroic actions, for helping our officers make the arrest and for keeping our community safe. Uh, now, Prouty is facing multiple charges uh, in Ocala. He's facing charges of fleeing and eluding, attempted carjacking, crash involving injuries, and resisting arrest. In uh, Sumter County, he is facing charges of home invasion, battery on a person over the age of 65, as well as grand theft of a vehicle. And again, who knows? Prouty might have been able to get away. Uh, it's, it's, look, it's entirely possible the police would have been able to take him to custody without the uh, actions of those armed citizens or the uh, Good Samaritans, but. Uh, all it would have taken was for him to shove the driver out of that car and uh, take off. And who knows uh, how many more crimes might have been committed before officers were able to take him into custody. So in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. These anonymous Good Samaritans there in Ocala, Florida, we thank you.
for your very, very good deed. Now, this is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I do want to let you know we will be updating BearingArms.com throughout the uh, rest of the week and over the weekend as well. Obviously, covering the uh, latest in Maine, uh, as well as the uh, reaction on Capitol Hill. So I'd encourage you to uh, check it out. But uh, more importantly, again, keep those folks in your prayers. Show them some love if you can. And until we talk again, be well, be safe, and be free.